Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me at the back? Okay. If uh, I fade away, start waving at me, all right? Or, or, do, or do this, and I'll ramp up the volume. That's absolutely fine. I'd rather you did that than, uh, than couldn't hear. Um, so for those of you who, who were not with us, uh, well, first of all, welcome back to those of you who were with us. And I need to apologise, oh, losing my voice already. Uh, we were talking about people working in different sectors yesterday morning. I left out two sectors, not, not only one, but two. Um, so uh, people who are retired but are working uh, and people who are, uh, I mean, volu- voluntarily working and people in the, in the uh, third sector, the charitable sector, which is actually where I work. So there you go. Anyway, um, we talked about three questions that people often ask about work. Why does my work matter to God? Um, how do I actually follow Jesus at work? How am I, how am I a disciple at work? And uh, how can I witness to Jesus? And actually the third one we only just touched on. We talked about a broad witness. We had a framework of six things beginning with M to help us to do that. If you missed that and you'd like uh, to know what those six things are, then I have got some spare handouts here that you can pick up. And one or two uh, little cards that we used yesterday um, still here, just as a reminder of those six things beginning with M, which I'll leave here. Um, but today, we're going to think about our relationships in the workplace. Now, this being a sort of seminar about, seminar about relational thinking, I, I'm actually going to ask you to talk to each other occasionally. So it would be helpful if you would be within kind of talking distance of somebody else. Um, so just think about where you're, where you're sitting and, and see if you make sure you can actually connect with some, another human being this morning as we go through. Um, okay, lovely. So I'm going to be fairly interactive today, a little bit more than yesterday. Uh, but just to, to kick off, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, I used to work for a brilliant but completely unpredictable <laughs> boss. Uh, so I'd get to work, but I wouldn't have pretty much uh, no clue as to what he was going to ask me to do that day. Um, and he was uh, a great entrepreneur and always had a fresh idea. So there was never a dull moment, uh, but some, sometimes I wish there was. He was a particularly interesting character to get on with. So let me ask you what the people in your workplace are like. What are they really like? Do you get on well with them? Do, they, do you think they get on well with you or with each other? Um, or do you face a bit of a relational challenge at work? You know, some organisations can be wonderful places relationally to work and others, maybe not so much, a bit of a mess. Uh, Paul had that. Paul faced that with the church in Rome. Uh, the church in Rome were a bunch of Christians, some of whom had converted from the Jewish faith, and some of whom were, um, were Gentiles. So those that had converted from the Jewish faith felt they were the true people of God. You know, they had the rich background. Um, and uh, others who'd come to Christ from a pagan background really thought that the Jewish Christians were lucky to get a second chance. So there was kind of a, a rivalry between the two. And so Paul spends the first 11 chapters in Romans, and we heard one of them this morning, Romans 8, from Heather, um, in his letter explaining uh, that each of the ways they'd come to faith was equally valid. And here it is, 
He lays it out, which is a wonderful sort of theological treatise, which we benefit from today. But then he goes on to explain in chapter 12, so given all those 11 chapters, here's how you should live together. Here's how you relate to each other. And we'll come back to, uh, to that. We'll touch on that. But if you want to read a, uh, a chapter of, uh, of the Bible, um, have a go at Romans 12, because that will give you a really good grounding in good relationships. And it shows that relationships, relational challenges at least, aren't new. They, they, we've, all, we've always had relational challenges from day one. But the good news is that relationship is core to the kingdom of God. And so we can bring, as people of the kingdom, we can bring something of God's life to bear in everyday life and work. So um, here's what we're going to look at and here's where we're going to go. <coughs> Uh, we're going to start by thinking about what loving our neighbour um, looks like when our neighbour is one of our colleagues at work. We're going to think about, mm, well, how healthy are the relationships I've got in my workplace? And then we're going to take a couple of angles on, well, how might those relationships improve? What can I bring as a child of God to bear on those relationships? And right from the start, I'd really like you to be thinking about grounding this in your actual workplace relationships. So I want you to pause for a moment, and on your handout, you should have a table right at the start with ten spaces. And I'd like you to just jot down your most significant relationships at work. Now, don't worry if you haven't got ten relationships at work, doesn't matter. Just jot down uh, what springs to mind, or who springs to mind in terms of the most significant relationships you've got in your workplace. Have a go at that for a moment. Careful of the bottom. <laughs> All the pens will fall out. Yeah, I've got the bottom. Good <laughs> Okay, I know it's Tuesday and some of you are struggling to remember who it is that you work with. How are we doing? We all right? Got a list? Got a few people? Great. If anybody else springs to mind as we go through, just jot them down on your list as well. Now, the thing is, uh, God, as we know, loves the people at work, amazing though that might sometimes seem. And uh, he wants them to experience his love. And sometimes the first, perhaps the only experience they have of his love is what happens through us as the people of God placed in that particular context for today. And... uh, I work for an organisation called LICC, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, and we love to journey with people as they go through their working lives. And here's an example, just to illustrate. About three years ago, I ran um, a pilot version of a workplace discipleship resource called Transforming Work in a church in Bristol. And just recently, I went back to Bristol to find out um, how they've been getting on, and to, to, to run a seminar a bit like this. And it was great to catch up and hear what God had been doing. And uh, I met uh, one particular guy who'd been on that pilot course. So I asked him, well, what's been going on? And when I first met him, he was a fairly junior engineer, uh, but he, was, he had a real heart for God to see, to see what God was doing at work. And he was at that time, he was battling to save... I remember the transport budgets for elderly and disabled people, which were under threat. Anyway, three years later, um, he's now got a team of 35 people working with him. 
And when I asked him, well, what difference has serving God intentionally in your workplace made to you? Uh, He said that his greatest joy was to be known as the manager who cares. The manager who cares. Who knows? Maybe he's the only one who cares in that workplace. I don't know. Um, But that's what he highlighted as the key difference that serving God made, that following Jesus made to his relationships, what people saw of Jesus' character in him as he worked, that he cared. Well, not a bad thing to be known for, I'd say. How about you? What would you say people know you at work for? What are you known for? Well, when we look at Jesus as the supreme reconciler of all things, as we're told in Colossians 1, verse 20, Jesus with a mission to bring back under God's benevolent uh, government the sin-fragmented pieces of his creation, making a way to repair those broken relationships. It's no surprise, perhaps, that the two main planks of Jesus' teaching, as he summarised them, are these, which you will know well. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. Well, you know, we've heard that before. But what did Jesus really mean? It's easy to love the people we like, isn't it? You know, the people we uh, have a lot in common with. You know, those that you easily get on with, you might like to have a coffee with or have a drink with. Uh, those aren't just our neighbours, actually. They, they are our friends, really, aren't they? Easy to get along with. But think of someone it's harder to like. Think of the, the guy who lives in the house next door that plays loud music at 2 o'clock in the morning, even though you keep nicely asking him not to. Uh, what about him or the lady in the post office, the grumpy lady in the post office, who feels, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's a bit of an imposition to have to serve you, really, when you come along? Does Jesus mean to love these people as well? Now, just take that, translate it to your workplace. Have you got a nightmare colleague? Have you got someone that, uh, well, there's a nod up there, okay. (laughs) Someone that you find really difficult. Um, I need to to just ask, is anybody called Gavin in this room? No, excellent. So, (laughs) uh, that's just a a disclaimer. We're going to call him Gavin. Let's think about Gavin. Sorry, do we... Any Gavin's listening to the, uh, to the uh, recording? Nothing personal, okay? Gavin's always late for meetings. Uh, Gavin hasn't bothered to read the papers before he comes along, and he makes, as a result, he makes stupid suggestions. He doesn't really pull his weight, but he's really good at schmoozing the management. So actually, Gavin gets promoted before you do. Don't you just love Gavin? <laughs> Are we really supposed to love the Gavins of our workplace world? Discipline, you might think, or tolerate, maybe. Uh, But love? Well, uh, this is where we need the work, the power of the Spirit, which is what we're thinking about all week. So let's take a look at how Jesus treated challenging people for a moment. See if we can learn something from his approach to relationships. So first of all, how about um, that person that's really slow on the uptake and should know better? Think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the teacher of the law. But he really didn't get it, did he? If 
you remember, um, Jesus had to patiently help him to see that when he was saying you need to be born again, he didn't mean literally. Okay, Nicodemus, this is something with a deeper meaning. So patience was a, was a mark of Jesus' relational um, approach. Well, what about that person who's like several rungs below you on the social ladder? Maybe you're, you know, you're high up in an organisation and, and they're not that high up in the organisation. Like perhaps the Samaritan woman at the well. Now Jesus really shouldn't have given her the time of day culturally, uh, but he deliberately engaged her in a long conversation, didn't he? He spent time with her and he didn't pull his punches in that conversation. So he says, um, yes, indeed, you have had five husbands, he says, and, and he cared enough to share with her who he really was. So when the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, that was unusual at that point. Jesus didn't actually share who he was as directly as that with pretty much anybody else. He kind of was indirect and quite guarded in terms of who he was, mostly. And then there's that person who's just plain wrong. How do you deal with that? Like Peter, when he rebukes Jesus for saying that he has to go to uh, Jerusalem and die at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers. Do you remember Peter saying, surely not? And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch. That, was, that sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? Well, maybe it was. So what happened there? Did Jesus suddenly stop loving Peter? I don't think so. But it does somewhat clash with our view of a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, doesn't it? My personal view is that Peter, if you track Peter's journey, he was on a journey of relationship with Jesus, about realising who Jesus really was and is. Um, but he was very thick-skinned, wasn't he? He was that kind of a character. So actually, Jesus had to kind of verbally hit him over the head with a baseball bat to get his attention. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. <laughs> Just to let him know that this actually was wrong thinking. This was not lined up with the kingdom. To stop him in his tracks. After all, Jesus was about to build his church on this rock. And at that moment, that was love. That hard saying was love. And often we pigeonhole love as pastoral care, don't we? We kind of think love is comfort or gentle assurance. If you're listening to Dave Richards the other night talking about comfort being with strength and that picture of the, the spear. Yeah, okay, I need to say no more. Um, but, you know, uh, gentle assurance might be right on some occasions, but the flavour you get from Jesus' dealings is that he had people's best interests at heart. And he didn't hesitate if it was in their best, in best interests for him to put them straight on a few things, did he? He didn't shy away from that. So, given that, given what we can see of how Jesus treated people, let's just go back and take a look at that list of our own workplace relationships for a moment that you, that you made earlier on. 
I'd like you to, just for a moment on your own, allocate those relationships into those that are going well um, and those that are uh, okay and those that are perhaps not going so well. So, you know, see if you can just mentally divide them up. No need to think too deeply about this, just gut feel. You know, you know that relationship's good and you think that one might be in need of a bit of help. Just, just jot that down on your, on your list for a moment. Okay. All right, so now I'd like you to, in, just in twos or threes, just where you are, turn to your neighbour and try to work out, well, why are the good ones good? And what's wrong with the ones that are not so good at the moment? Okay, see if you can work out what's, what are the features, what makes the good ones good? Not just they're nice people, <laughs> but what makes the good ones good? And, you know, why are we struggling? Why are we struggling with the ones that aren't so good? Have a go at that for a couple of minutes together. Just going to ask you for a little bit of feedback there. So um, can anybody give me a, an example of what, what makes the good relationships good? Communication. Communication. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Well, when there's two-way communication, when you have that trust that you're able to be honest with each other, uh-huh. it makes work, your work in life Brilliant. easier. Brilliant. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anything else that makes the good ones good? Knowing where you stand with people. And, so you yeah. know that they're honest with you. Okay. And, and you Okay. So, and they, yeah. And so knowing where you stand, they're, they're fair with you. You can depend on them. You can trust them. Yeah. Anything else? Good. Listening. Listening. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. So actually, getting getting that real meaning, understanding each other really well. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we're going to come back to these in a, in a minute or two. Um, what about the things that get in the way? What makes, what sort of harms relationships, do you think? What, what did you identify there? Did you get that far? Or were we just rejoicing in the good ones? <laughs> Time restraints. Time restraints, yeah. Well, under compromise. So just, can you unpack that a little bit? Well, if you have, like, sort of two people, imagine you of, I'd say yesterday was a caretaker in a big school, and you have maybe two setups to do in each end and it's trying to get a balance and they're roughly the same time and one teacher might, might be willing to compromise where the other okay. one could be very demanding no I need it done and you can't make these things work so yeah yeah okay yeah that sort of time pressure mm-hmm. is a somebody were you was it did you say moody moody people, moody people. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay Anything else? I suppose, uh, I'm not sure if it's the right way of describing it, but if, if people don't share the same sort of values and maybe ah. want to take advantage or you know, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you say. And again, we'll come back to that in a moment. Interesting, though, that these are the things that we're just starting to identify. We're just kind of starting to map out our workplace relationships and, and think a little bit below the surface, which is what we need to do a bit more of. So... We're just going to spend a moment before we start to think about how might we improve these things by delving a bit deeper into what Christian love might look like at work. Because it goes beyond, as we mentioned, it goes beyond pastoral care, doesn't it? It's not 
confined to a cup of tea for a busy colleague, although that's a good thing to do. Um, it's also perhaps showing respect by being on time for a meeting or being prepared. It's, it's caring enough, perhaps, to give somebody a thoughtful appraisal uh, or perhaps correcting someone when they're making a mistake, even though they might not thank you for it, uh, if you do it in the right way. Perhaps it's being prepared to receive correction from somebody else, even though you might not feel much like it at the time. Looking out for your co-workers' best interests, even when you know they're, they're not particularly looking out for yours. So, in giving us this, these, this great commandment, Jesus really is asking us, in that second one there, to look at all of life through a relational lens, to think about or to see things, as it were, relationally, just to consider what's the relational consequence of the decisions I'm taking, or the actions uh, and, and the attitudes that I have. Paul advises us in 1 Corinthians 10 not to seek our own good, but the good of many. And this is what one of the things that Heather was saying this morning out of Romans 8, um, that uh, we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to lay ourselves, our own interests, to one side so that we can consider the interests of others day by day. And it's important to recognise that whilst we've been focusing on individuals naturally so far, this goes beyond interpersonal relationships because often we miss the fact that what appears to be a, uh, what you might call a hard performance issue in a workplace actually has a relational core. Here's, a, here's an example from Glengarnock Prison, which is in Scotland. And a few years ago, uh, there were riots in Glengarnock, and uh, the authorities brought in some people to do a relational audit, which is unusual at the time. And what that showed was that uh, the best-paid wardens were actually those that sat in the control room in front of the video screens, and what they could do uh, was they could see signs of trouble once it had broken out. But if you think about it, if they're the best ones, if they're the ones that are relationally qualified, if you like, they'd be much better walking the corridors, talking with the folks there, diffusing the trouble before it started, than they are just sitting, waiting to say, oh, yes, we've got some trouble in Corridor 59. Um, so what happened there is that a decision about pay grades had a really bad effect relationally and it had an extremely bad effect operationally. And what that means is that when we think about a typical organisation, it's not just a collection of isolated functions. Everywhere there are relationships. And thinking about the relational impact of the decisions we make about the products or the, or, or the systems that we have in our organisation or pay is actually key to the health of those organisations and helps it to reach its goals. Now, this is kind of obvious, isn't it? Um, and as Christians, we should be really good at thinking relationally. It, after all, it's the foundation of our faith. This really should be an open goal for us. But how easy it is in that position, if you've ever been in that position, to just neatly lob the ball over the bar. 
We're Christians. We should be able to do this well. So how do we do it well? What, what can help us? We're going to just take a, a look at a couple of ways um, of uh, taking some biblical wisdom and seeing how we might improve our workplace relationships. We're going to think about the structure of our relationships, about how we hold relationships well, and then we're going to think about our posture in relationships, about how we see relationships well. Okay, so sometimes, taking the first one first, when we recognise a poor relationship, there's a structural reason behind it. There's something systematic in the way we're handling that relationship or other people are handling that relationship that causes it to suffer. We, we touched on some of these things earlier on. Something needs to change. And uh, a chap called Mike, Michael Schluter, who runs the Jubilee Centre in Cambridge, um, spent some time studying the Jubilee laws in Leviticus, hence the Jubilee Centre, and uh, he came up with five factors that lead to fruitful relationships. And if you look at your handout, um, you should have a table uh, on your handout with these five factors on it. Have you, have you got that? Yeah? Okay, so what I'd like you to do is just go back to your list of relationships that you started this morning with and pick one that's perhaps not going so well. Just pick one to work on. We're going to take it as an example. If all your relationships are wonderful, that's great. Pick, pick one that's good and we'll see what's good about it. Okay, so just do the opposite of what I say. <laughs> but most of us have got one that we could work on, I think. So pick one of those relationships, go back to your table. Uh, what I'd like you to do, I'm going to run through these five factors and as we talk about them, I'd like you to score that relationship uh, from 1 to 10, where 1 is pretty appalling, and the other, and 10, is actually hunky-dory. that makes sense here, hunky-dory? Yeah? Okay. All right. So, we're going to start with one we actually mentioned, uh, which is about communication, really. It's called directness of contact. Um, but as was mentioned, communication is the most obvious key to any relationship. But it, it's more about giving and receiving information, isn't it? Real communication... The quality of that communication is vital and the directness of the contact we have with people is absolutely key to how well we're communicating. If you've worked um, in an open plan office like I have a few times, you'll know that despite maybe sitting in the next cubicle, people will send each other an email. Why is that? I don't know. Here's a sign I I noticed in... uh, uh, when I was over in South Africa last year. <laughs> we are not alone here, folks. This is a common disease. We do get bound up in our technology, and as a result, our relationships can be far less satisfying. But if you're actually there in person, then you do have a transparency. There's a richness of communication between human beings. Um, you know, if you're trying to make, come to an agreement or do a deal of some sort, and a lot of A lot of work is about doing deals and negotiation. You can shake hands. You can correct a misunderstanding. Uh, One of the features was was actually good understanding that came out earlier on. Um, So in a globalised economy, we can't always be physically present, can we? I know some people, that uh, one or two guys, that have never met their boss because their boss is in another country and they don't actually come to where they are. So they... 
they have to Skype. And perhaps if you, if you can't be physically present, something like FaceTime or a Skype or a video conference is the next best thing. Um, or if you can't do that, then a telephone call, because at least you can hear the person's inflection of voice. And we all know that communication is only like uh, 30% what you actually say, or even less than that. It's about your body language. It's about your tone of voice, isn't it? They're all watching Dave Richards on the stage communicating tonight. Some of what you hear is actually what he's saying. A lot of what you hear is who he is and the heart of what's coming across. That's directness of contact. So score your relationship on quality, on quality of communication and directness of contact. And uh, if you've got anything you want to just remember, just uh, jot down any comments on that table. And we're going to think about the second of these uh, parameters. So continuity of contact, uh, continuity over time, continuity of contact over time. So this second one is actually about being around people you know and people who know you. I don't know if you had this uh, series a while back, but that was, that was the strap line. I want to be where everybody knows my name. We like that, don't we? We like people to know us. And to uh, yeah, you wander into the into the Cheers bar, and you know you're greeted warmly by your friends, or sometimes not so warmly, probably you know verbal abuse, but that's kind of in the uh, in the uh, in the spirit of the thing. So some organisations don't get this, and some do. So I don't know if you've ever had that frustrating experience of of ringing up a call centre, and when you finally get through after pressing fifteen buttons. You explain the problem you've got with your computer. And they say, oh, yes, well, this is what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, so you put the phone down and you go and you try it out and it doesn't work. So a week later, you call them up again. Or maybe even the same day you call them up again and you get a different person. And you've got to explain the problem all over again. And they give you a different solution. Or maybe try this. Have you ever had that experience or is it just me? Yeah, there's a few folk here. Now, some organisations do not get this, and so we continue to have that frustrating experience. Some organisations do. This is not an advertisement for Apple, by the way, but I did order something from the Apple store the other day, and I spoke to a human being. (laughs) Quite quickly, actually. Probably only one or two button presses. Uh, And so, you know, we explained what I needed, and and they um, put, put the order together for me. And then, actually, it was a week later, uh, I needed to ask a question. So I went back, and they'd given me their email, their name. I went back to the same person who knew who I was, and they were able to deal with the issue. It's not rocket science, is it? But this is about story. This is about the, the stories that people carry about each other. So a call centre is quite a distant thing, isn't it? But in your workplace, how much of the story of the other people do you know? Because that will help you, and it will help them. So take a bit of time to find out about the stories people carry. Not, I don't mean be nosy, um, but uh, show a loving interest to them as whole people, not just their function. Because sometimes um, understanding someone's story can help you to see why it is they're being aggressive or unhelpful towards you. I had, I had a, a, a boss a while back where... Once I understood his story, I really could see why he was being particularly 
difficult about a certain issue. So it helped me. And sometimes you might unwittingly touch on a raw nerve from the past. If you know the story, that will help you. So story, again, score where you think you are with, in your relationship on knowing the person's story. Just write down your number from 1 to 10. Okay, and then um, the third factor, alignment of purpose. Now, this is quite powerful in bringing people together and creating unity. Have a look at the Welsh football team from the European Football Championships. These guys were not the best team in the championships, but they had, the, they had a common purpose. They were united. They were together in their victory. They were also together when they lost. Contrast that with the English football team. <laughs> it wasn't a team, really, was it? It was just a bunch of individuals, very talented in their own right, but they didn't have that kind of coherence. It's so powerful. This is, probably, um, uh, this is probably the most powerful thing I've come across that helps to diffuse interpersonal issues. Having a, an, some kind of alignment. If you can find some kind of alignment with the person you're having a, you've fallen out with or you've got an issue with. So let me, uh, so for example, um, uh, this is a phrase I sometimes use. Um, if, you, if you can get the rat on the table... Uh, by which I mean, if you've got something that's unspoken between you, like the elephant in the room, if you can get that out in front of you, so that you are together, instead of facing off against each other and kind of locking horns, you're together looking at the issue, and you have a common cause, which is let's try and solve this issue, that's a very powerful way of diffusing that tension and helping you to actually move forward. So alignment of purpose is a third um, feature that we need to look at and again give it a score do you think you have a common purpose with this with the person in the relationship we're thinking about right now how are we doing we've got some scores down okay we're getting there yeah okay all right um then the fourth one range of context well this is just about knowing a bit about each other's context outside of of work uh, it's a bit like story, uh, but it's, it's kind of more active. It's like meeting people in a different context. So when you're in a workplace context, it can be quite difficult for people, if they feel embarrassed or they don't want to show that they're, that they're ignorance, to actually say what they think. But if you can actually get people out of that context, into the coffee shop or where, wherever it is, uh, playing sports or over dinner or whatever, um, then uh, it helps to... Um, helps us to better understand them. We can see a different angle. And again, it helps us to see why they make the decisions they do or might, why they might be unusually grumpy. So how much do you know about the person that you're scoring? And we're going to come back to that when we think about um, how we might witness, how we might share our faith with people tomorrow. And then the last one is about... Sharing of power. Well, this is, to be more accurate, the balance of power in a relationship. Um, quite often there's a difference in positional power in a relationship. So you might have a boss and someone who works in their team. 
Um, if there's healthy mutual respect, then influence flows both ways. The boss, if they're wise, will listen to their team, and the team, if they're wise, will listen to the boss. On the other hand, if you feel intimidated or put down, you're, you're less likely to participate, aren't you? So what we're doing here is just recognising and respecting the way that God has made people in his image uniquely, and that everybody has something to bring, no matter what their sort of rank might be. So again, finally, see if you can score that one. Is there influence that's flowing both ways in this relationship we're thinking about? Fantastic. Okay, so I hope that's given you a bit of insight into some of the structural issues that can take place in a poor relationship. Um, how are our scores getting on? If you add up your add up your scores, uh, anybody in the forty to fifty range, or thirty to forty range, or twenty to thirty range? There's a few popping up. Okay. And the 10s to 20s, a few more, and the zeros to 10s. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a bit of work to do then. Well, I'm hoping that by scoring these things and by thinking about them, they give us a little bit of insight that we can prayerfully then take. So before I go on, I want us to pause just for a moment and just uh, prayerfully consider, okay, given that, given what we've just been through, what? Lord, what should I do? What's, what's the first thing I should do? Maybe it's just to go away and pray. But let's just ask the Lord, is there anything that he would bring to mind that I would do differently in this relationship as a result of looking at those five dimensions? Just take a moment to reflect on that. And again, if the Holy Spirit is bringing anything to mind, write it down before it evaporates, as these things so often do. Just jot it down on your notes. Okie doke. Right. How are we doing? Still awake? Yes? Good. Let's just move on then. And we're going to tackle this last second uh, angle on how we might improve our workplace relationships. And this is about our posture. So this is about how we're seeing people how we're seeing people. Our, if you like, it's our hard attitude. Because on their own, those five dimensions, whilst helpful, they can feel a little bit impersonal or sort of formulaic, um, just like you know, we're, applying, we're applying an equation. But we need to add to those things a key aspect, which is about how we see people, not how I'm seeing you right now, but how we see people in our heart, how we view them as carrying God's image as his creation. So next time you get frustrated with someone or cross with them, I'd like you to pause. Okay, this is the spiritual equivalent of counting from one to ten. I'd like you to pause, take a deep breath, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you something of God in them. Something of the image of God that is in them. Something that you can love. It's a good place to start loving someone if you can see something of God in them. Okay? And as a part of that, I just want to linger for a minute or two on one pivotal verse within that passage of Scripture we started with, which is uh, Paul writing to the Roman church. 
in chapter 12. It's a verse that helps us understand uh, the heart attitude behind a Christ-like love, and it's one that can fuel our day-to-day relational working. It's this one. Bless those who persecute them. Bless and do not curse them. It goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Why is scripture so difficult? (laughs) This is not an easy verse, is it? But blessing, blessing is what God does. It's what Jesus does. It's that Philippians 2 self-emptying, sacrificial posture of heart through which Jesus poured himself out for us. And we saw this, if you were here yesterday, we saw this in the story of Sarah, the NHS worker, who gave other people some of her opportunities for advancement in self-sacrificial love. And that sort of love is rare in the workplace, I'd suggest. It will stand out because the temptation that we faced ever since Eden is to sacrifice others on the altar of our own best interests. But blessing wants the best for others, even at our own expense. Now, when I was thinking about how do, how do we unpack blessing, I think that, the, if you like, the, the best place to think about blessing is that amazing blessing that we know and love out of number six, this one. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. That's one we commonly use, yeah? You're familiar with that. If we just unpack that for a moment, the Lord bless you and keep you kind of means the Lord do you good and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you is showing you favour. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, to exercise grace over you. And then to turn his face towards you is to be fully present to you. Imagine the Lord being fully present to you, and to offer you his shalom, his holistic covenantal well-being. That's God's heart for Israel, as expressed in Numbers 6. So I suppose our question is, could that be our heart for those around us at work? To do them good, to protect them. So, for example, if a colleague of yours is experiencing workplace bullying... How do you do them good? How do you protect them? How do you bless them in that place? Or to show them favour, to exercise grace. So perhaps someone in your team tries but fails. What do you do? Finger of blame. Or, okay, let's sit down, let's talk about it, let's see what went wrong. You know, some forgiveness and get back on the bicycle and have another go. Or to be fully present with them, to offer them God's shalom. So paying full attention, even when you're manically busy yourself. Let's just dwell on that last one for a moment. One of the, one of the greatest relational gifts you can give to someone is your full attention, isn't it? In this manically busy world, where our attention is split a million different ways, to give someone your full attention is a fantastic gift. So... Just test yourself right now. Take an inward look. See what's going on in your thoughts. If you like, stand beside yourself. How much of your attention do I have? How much is apportioned to thinking about that problem at work or at home 
or looking forward to lunchtime or going to the beach this afternoon. And now I've mentioned all those things. That's what you're thinking about. <laughs> but that's natural. I'm not upset. Don't worry. But what would it be like if you gave your full attention to that person who comes to meet you during your busy working day? I don't know. If you're like me, have you ever been sitting at your desk doing an email and someone's, you know someone's coming to see you and they knock on the door or if you haven't got a door, they come to your cubicle and you say, hang on a minute, I'm just, just let me finish this email. Let me just send this email, you know, and you're not giving them that gift of your full attention. Is it just me or is anybody else like that? Yeah. Okay. And what would it be like if you were able to give that same sort of attention to God when you pray? Interrupting our long list of concerns and our prayer list, if you like, to listen carefully to his voice, to listen to God's heartbeat, to put our ear against the chest of God, as it were, and just listen to his heartbeat. To give that indwelling Holy Spirit the space, the opportunity to offer you insight, wisdom, inner strength beyond your own capacity. Because, of course, we are not meant to be following those great commandments on our own. I think that's why it starts with love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. We can't do it. We're not meant to do it alone. It's bound up with our dependence on the one who calls us to follow him. Our dependence in a prayerful offering of ourselves to his service for the good of others. So why don't we just take a moment to do that right now. What I'd like you to do is to take your hand out where you wrote down that list of prime contacts, that list of people. And if, if you're willing, uh, just sort of hold it out to the Lord, as it were. Okay, bear with me in this. <laughs> what is this strange man asking me to do? Just hold the list out to God. And let's close our eyes and just take a moment of silence to hold these people up to the Lord and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about anybody in particular that he's put you alongside at work. I'm just going to allow a minute for us to do that, and then I'll lead us in a prayer together. So let's wait on God and offer these people up to him as those he has intentionally placed us alongside day by day. So Lord, we thank you for these people, your creation, Lord, individually created, individually crafted by your hand, made in your image. And we do lift them to you. And we ask you to bless them, Lord, in their work, in their lives, in their homes, in their families. And Father, we want to offer ourselves to you to be channels of your love in our daily contact with each one. Lord, those that are easy to love, those that for us are harder. 
Lord, would you show us how to love them well, how to hold them well in our hearts and how to express your love in your strength, Lord, by your spirit. Amen. Okay, thank you. And again, at the bottom of your handout, there's just a place to record your reflections or thoughts or anything we've talked about that you feel might be helpful. Just encourage you to do that now, because otherwise you will probably forget and we'll lose the good of it.